Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rock'em Radio Podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We're on season six, episode uh, 24, and here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program, NCAA tournament bound, uh, double by having Missouri Tigers 23 and 8. Uh, I am your host, Sam Stanley, with me from the Plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I don't know what I'm going to do with my Wednesday and Thursday, Sam. What? What do people do when their teams are good enough that they don't have to play on Wednesday and Thursday? I don't and know what, this well, life. It's been a decade. What, what, like, what do people what do, do? What do like regular people do, or what do like people like us do? Like we're uh, we're gonna watch other games. I I'm think that's probably... more of like a spiritual and philosophical question than it was. Well, but, like but a... think about think about this, Matt. You you have no obligation whatsoever to watch any SEC basketball on Wednesday night. I will not partake in any of that. <laughs> so I think I, uh, I, I think I counted what five, five trips uh, to the Wednesday game since Missouri has joined the SEC, uh, which is more than half because they uh, did not participate in the uh, what was it twenty sixteen? Yeah, yeah, they took their self-imposed uh, twenty sixteen. Yeah, the self-imposed postseason ban. I think everyone was they... happy about that. I think everyone agreed with that self-imposed ban that year. I think everyone was yeah, thrilled. Yeah, that 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 team was going nowhere. Uh, they would have been a fourteenth seed there, but yeah. So five Wednesday play-ins uh, under Conzo. Uh, they had what two Wednesday two. play-ins? Two Wednesdays, and. Uh, they were, yeah, slated for, uh, so they were a five seed in 2018. And then uh, an eight, seven seed in uh, 2021. I believe so, yeah. And so, and then they were like, they were going to be in the, the, the canceled. They were the uh, 11 seed, I think. No, no, no. They they were not. They, oh, they got to the ten because of the time. Yeah, they got to the ten at like the last. Yeah, the last last day. Uh, they they slid into the ten seed. Um, yeah, that's an illustrious SEC tournament history. Uh, there for for your fans. This is Missouri's first ever, uh, double buy. Um, you know, granted, not a uh, not a long history in the SEC, but that's that's 
you know, 10 years of, of Missouri basketball, especially coming into the, like, you know, I think a lot of fans sort of figured Missouri would be one of the better basketball programs. Um, and then Frank Hafe left and Mizzou punted on, on basketball for a while. And that kind of, that kind of hurt. Yeah. Not caring for three or four years is, is, is problematic. Uh, especially when everyone else around you does care that that tends to lead to Wednesday trips. But no, the the double buy is uh you know the biggest thing I think you want to see are are mild signs that you're moving up and I think you know a couple of weeks ago we talked about it's this is you know a lot of people are going to find it sad or pathetic but this is how you start to improve is you go 3 and 1 against the Mississippi schools. They've now won I think what is it 5 in a row over Ole Miss. Yep. That's that's what you want to do. They've they ended a five-game losing streak to Mississippi State. They held serve at home. That's what you want to do. Um, they did not lose against anyone in the bottom four. You know, they 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 managed to hold up and, and do what they needed to do against LSU, get a sweep there, managed, like I mentioned a minute ago, to sweep Ole Miss. Did not lose to South Carolina, did not lose to Georgia. You know, that that's what you need to do. It, at a minimum, you want to win. The six or seven games you can bank on every year and you want to beat the Mississippi schools and move ahead of them. That's, you know, in year one, if nothing else, Missouri got that done. Um, you know, getting the double by is big, but, you know, at a minimum they've started to, you know, tick off some of the things you want to see this program do if you want to move from 10th to 7th in the standings. And, you know, I know they have the double by now, but by almost every sort of analytic metric, they're about 7th or 8th. You know, tiebreakers are what they are. You'll never turn down the double bye. But, you know, this team moved from, you know, what were they? I think the number 12 seed or 11 seed last year. They moved up three or four spots just by handling their business. So, all in all, a really, really good year one. You know, they they managed to capitalize on an opportunity. And, you know, we'll see if they can keep the momentum going. But, you know, if they could just move three or four places this year, that would have been sufficient. The double bye on top of that is fantastic. So they uh, they got there um, by winning their last four games, which I think we thought was possible. I think uh, for the most part, I think most people were kind of thinking they would drop one along the, <laughs> the way there, uh, just playing the odds. Um, but they didn't, and I you know I think like that's to be commended again. Like I'll say it a million times: winning on the road in this league is difficult. Uh, I don't care if it's a bad team or not. Um, you know, very clearly, uh, beating Mississippi State at home was was a, a big, huge win. I think a lot of people sort of assumed, as long as Missouri probably got at least a couple more wins out of the last three, that they were going to be an, uh, a tournament lock. Um, so that win was important. Uh, but going on the road uh, and and you know, soundly beating a Georgia team who has been at times pretty feisty at home this year, uh, and then. You know, coming back this past week and going two and zero against, you know, really like two last place teams uh, in the league, one on the road, one at home. Um, that's it's to be commended. Like this is what you needed to do uh, in order to, like you were kind of saying, like take that next step as a program. Um, you beat LSU at LSU for the first time. You beat them on a night where they shot fifty percent from three point range. Um, they went absolutely nuts in the, in the first half, uh, and really like the first 10 minutes. And it just like, it did not look good for Missouri. Uh, but they were just able to kind of scratch and claw to hang around. And I really think like that, uh, that Drake Golston bucket, um, you know, at, at the buzzer at the end of the first half, uh, to, to get it to 13 was such like a momentum builder for them. Because uh, you take it just from 15 to 13, but then, like, they opened up the second half, got two quick buckets, and now it's nine. And now it's a ball game. Yeah. Um, you know, and especially when you're talking about a team like LSU, who, you know, clearly has some trouble executing offensively at times. They're prone to turnovers at times. They're prone to dry spells. Um, and if you could kind of get a combination, and Missouri got a combination of all those things kind of work in their favor, they were able to kind of come back and... and and overcome what what seemed like just a really bad night to be in Baton Rouge for for the opponent, um, and they they got the win out of it. 
both games sort of had similar undertones to them in which, you know, it, it's not fancy, but possessions matter. They're the most con- they're the most valuable commodity in the game. And, you know, in the second half at LSU, no turnovers, managed to get enough on the glass to where I think they finished what? Like, they didn't have any turnovers. They forced, you know, I think seven from LSU plus the three they got on plus three edge they got on the offensive glass. That's 10 extra, you know, opportunities. You know, that's what this team at its core, you know, they play fun, they play fast, but really they have boring math at the gut of what they do, which is we can have more possessions than you, and we're going to execute a little bit more efficiently than you because our guards will get us in to good action, and then we have dudes that can finish at the rim. That's what they did against LSU. They got, they got the edge in possessions. They started getting to the rim. That helped them, you know, get over the top. You know, and then, you know, Demoy Hodge hits a three, you know, after Kobe's head nearly gets taken in a pick and roll, but <laughs> that got him over. And and sort of the same deal down the stretch against Ole Miss, a little bit of a micro sort of version of what happened against LSU is Missouri, you know, was giving the ball away. They gave 11 points to, you know, Ole Miss via live ball turnovers. But Missouri starts to value the ball. They start to, you know, get even on the glass down the stretch. You know, they won the rebounding war the last five minutes. They don't turn the ball over. They just start, you know, running all kinds of action to post up Kobe Brown and Noah Carter, and that's what gets them over the hump. You know, so this team, you know, I I think what they've done is they, you know, really managed to find a way to execute some of their core principles, you know, in tight spots. I think they're, you know, a week ago we were saying, you really wanted to, you know, hammer both of these teams and, and really try and do what you could to juice margins. That didn't work out, but I think at the end of the day, the, the silver lining is what this team does, its fundamental core components and core philosophy helped deliver it some results, and they were able to execute down the stretch. And I know you'll write about, you know, late and close games this week, but so much of what that takes is teams understanding what they are, what their objectives are, and how they play. And Missouri very, very clearly does that. And, you know, it delivered two results that they absolutely needed and, you know, got them, you know, to a position where they could lock up an NCAA tournament bid on Wednesday. And then, you know, the door opened up for them to get a double buy and they walked through it. And so, you know, we can quibble, you know, with kind of the game flow. But, you know, when you get down to brass tacks, they did what they needed to do and got the results they absolutely needed to, to make all this possible. Yeah, and, and that... uh I don't miss game. It, it it was always a game that I I sort of assumed that Missouri was going to win, um, but I knew it was just gonna it was going to be an uncomfortable game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I've been saying, you know, I think I even said on the pod last week. It just, you know, the decision to fire Kermit when the team was still playing hard for him uh, didn't make a lot of sense. And like I like Ole Miss has been playing decently well. They haven't been winning. But they've been in games. They've been competitive, uh, and so I expected them to come to Columbia and make a, the game competitive. Um, of course, it, you know it helps that Missouri doesn't shoot the ball very well from outside. Uh, neither does Ole Miss, thankfully. Um, you know, and so like what ends up, is, you know, you basically they they were able to get enough of, a, of an advantage to where Ole Miss went with a smaller lineup. Um, you know, they had uh, you know kind of down the stretch there a lot of the time they had Jamin Brakefield at the five uh, as the five and that's just that's a guy that doesn't want to play that spot right he's he's uh I think we we've sort of we've seen this in the past you know guys who you know have like the the decent size and and the ability but you know when it kind of comes down to it it's like they're just not accustomed to playing that and and going against Kobe Brown, who's so good around the rim, and going against Noah Carter, who is, you know, the quintessential small ball five. Um, you know, I, I think those guys really took advantage, and, and you know, that stretch was really, I think, what basically made the difference in the game. Yeah, we talked to, it didn't seem like there was a lot of juice from the Missouri side of things. You know, I think, to me, they, you know, there was some, Issues pressing offensively early on, but they started to get a rhythm midway through the first half, and you know, they got that lead opened up, and then it just looked like they sort of expected Mississippi State to quit. Like, oh, we're down 9, 10, or 11. 
it's time for us to go away last day of the season. And State didn't. You know, they, I mean, not State, but Ole Miss didn't. You know, they, they got a couple rebounds. They got aggressive on the glass. They cut it to five. And, and then they came out in the second half and really pushed and really sort of asserted themselves. And you could just sort of sense looking around that Missouri was like, what what's happening here? And Des Moines Hodge, you know, thankfully gave him a jolt, but it felt like for the, about the first six or seven minutes of the second half, Missouri just seemed kind of stunned that Ole Miss hadn't just sort of laid down and taken a beating and just sort of coasted in down the stretch. But to your point earlier, you know, Ole Miss has not, you know, quit in the last three games. They've been fighting their ass off to, to try and close well, and they've been playing hard under win case. And, you know, I think Saturday, if you hadn't watched Ole Miss before that, that was kind of what it's been like for them. They have stretches where they absolutely look like a team that should be far better than 13th in this league, where their talent is obviously you know, Matt Morell's making plays. He's hunting switches. He's getting downhill. He's getting into gaps. He can still shoot it off the one dribble pickup move. You know, Jamin Brakefield can do all kinds of different things. He can space it. He can drive from that mid post. They're getting cutters open. Like, they've got talent, and you're like, why is this team in the position it's in? And then there are points where it's like the turnover issues crop up for them. You know, they struggle sometimes, I think, with toughness on the low block and walling up and defending down there. It's it's a team that, you know, has enough talent, but it's flawed. And they will take advantage if you give them an opportunity. And for a while, it looked like Missouri was going to do that. And then with about six minutes left, you know, it, they just decided – we're going to go back to meat and potatoes. We're just going to pound the ball inside. We're going to, you know, send everybody to the glass. We're going to crash, and this is just going to get really simple right now. And it got them through. But I, I was really impressed with what Ole Miss did and their resilience. And, and, you know, can't imagine, you know, what would have happened if they had Kermit around. I think, you know, they might have found a way to steal one or two. Wouldn't have changed the outcome for them, but maybe it gets them out of playing on Wednesday. Uh-huh. But – disappointed that, you know, almost, you know, had to go through that down the stretch. The, uh, yeah. So a couple news items. Um, one Missouri is back in the AP top 25. They nabbed the 25th spot. Um, any thoughts on that? Might as well let them try it out. You know, it's, You know, the bottom five is sort of where you can put people in there, and, you know, it's the last AP poll of the regular season. So I guess that's good. Um, or, you know, it'll change once the NCAA tournament's done. So maybe find a way to get a win or two in the NCAA tournament. They You could finish the year in the AP Top 25. I haven't checked the last time that happened for Missouri, but it's in quite, I would assume it's been more than a decade since they finished in the AP Top 25. So just a small deal. I'm not going to change your life, but, you know, if, you know, the last, you know, you know, sort of straw poll of the year says that you were one of the 25 best teams, that's always good. So there's a position for that, you know, and which is never a bad thing that, you know, so much of, I think what this program is trying to do is change the perception of itself and sort of, again, sort of shed this image of sort of being middling and get back to something where it's sort of viewed as, you know, a really, really good job and a really, really good program. So it's, Small signpost, but if they could do it, it I'm not going to complain or I'm not going to downgrade it. Yeah, I said last week that um, I would have put him in uh, after the Georgia win. I just I think like coming off Mississippi State game and Georgia win, I felt like the resume was good enough for an inclusion. I wasn't disappointed that they weren't in, you know, because it's kind of like you said, like the last sort of like five spots in there. You know, they are what they are. It's basically just collecting enough votes around the country to sort of squeak in. Um, but, yeah, nice to see that they did it this week. Uh, also today, the SEC announced um, their, basically, their end-of-year awards, uh, men's basketball awards for first team, second team, all-defensive team, all-freshman team, and the individual awards. I think the thing that sort of stood out the most for... Uh, Missouri fans um, was the coach of the year uh, which the SEC I guess the vote was split um, and it was uh, it was given to Buzz Williams and Jerry Stackhouse uh, I said sort of online that I thought there were four people um, who had a uh, a reasonable claim to be considered 
coach of the year. I thought it was Buzz Williams. It was Jerry Stackhouse. It was Dennis Gates and it was Nate Oates. I thought the off-court stuff that happened at Alabama is probably going to keep Nate Oates out of it. So it really kind of was going to come down to three guys. Um, you know, like if I had a vote, I, you know, watching Missouri up close and kind of knowing what each team is, I might have given, you know, Dennis Gates the edge, uh, especially when you consider like where they were in the preseason poll, like where they finished, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's just been a really good year for Missouri. Uh, I also really think like Buzz Williams and what, you know, I know that both Buzz uh, and, and, and Stackhouse had some, some bumps in the non-con, but I really can't deny what, what Texas A&M did and became once SEC play started. Yeah. Um, just in, I mean, a clear, clear top team. Um, like I, obviously a top tier team. I Sweat Mizzou by 27 <laughs> points combined. Right. You know, it's like, so you, you have to give some credit there. And I, you know, like we've talked plenty on the podcast and written word, like what we think of Jerry Stackhouse and his, his coaching acumen. Um, I think he's really underappreciated for the job that he he does in, in getting his teams uh, ready to play, the way that they run their offense, the, the, the scouting, the plans that they have. Uh, they're all so well executed. That is, that is one of the best coast, coached bunches in the SEC. He's deserving of some kind of inclusion. Um, you know, and it's if, if you want to, like, you know, crab a little bit that, that Dennis Gates didn't, you know, get included i i'm i'm with you like i yeah but i would say very clearly everybody is thinking he's probably a very very close third of what apparently was it was a pretty tight race as they gave it to two people yeah i with nate not disappointed the off-court stuff took them out of there particularly because all that unfolded during conference play um so, well, and, and also I'd like to say with Nate, like we always knew that that roster was talented. Yeah. Like that was the most talented roster in the league. So congrats. Arkansas. Like, you, you got him to defend. Yeah. <laughs> Arkansas and, and Kentucky might take exception, but they were probably one of the three most talented rosters in the league. So I no, I would give Alabama. So I once, I mean, yeah, if you say like, you know, Brazil goes down, uh, with the ACL, yeah, and, and Nick Smith misses yeah, a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. considering Nick Nick Smith most, yeah, very clearly to me anyway that that Alabama was on paper the, the versus top. in practice. That's fair. Yeah, so it's it's hard for me to really reward that. You know, I think that would have happened though, because that's generally what happens. Is if you aren't, you know, clearly in the top four when the preseason begins, and you finish and win a conference title, you're probably going to be in the mix. That didn't happen for Nate. Uh, it was hard for me to really assess Buzz because if I think when we did the preseason, you know, sort of SEC preview, Texas A&M had like the widest variance in picks. Some people had him up there as high as number two. Some had him as low as like eight or nine. They were just all over the lot. And it was really, you know, a Rorschach test of what did you make of their run to the NIT. And, you know, they didn't start non-con very well. And so how much stock do you put in non-con as somebody who evaluates a season? Back in the day when I voted, I tended to put more of an emphasis on conference play just because non-conference schedules are so variable. You know, you, you know, if you, you know, Dennis Gates, you know, if you ignore the first nine games, you know, played a really, really tough in the conference schedule, but it was easy for Dennis to, you know, finish ahead a little bit because he had a harder he had an easier schedule than Bandy or AM. So how many you know, I heard people today saying, you know, he improved Missouri by eleven wins. I'm like, well, quite a few of those are by wins too. You know, so how much do you hold the non con for or against somebody? So I tend to look at more what you did in SEC play and if you go by that metric or by that sort of loose criteria. And this is just me speaking it's clearly buzz buzz got that team to you know finish one game off the pace started seven and one they were really good from the jump you know didn't take any really really bad losses along the way you know they, i think they found an identity that worked for themselves you know i thought schematically if you watched a and m you and i have said you know it's not our stylistic cup of tea but i give respect <laughs> to a dude who know that's well, putting it that's putting it nicely but i give respect to a dude who knows his personnel crafts the style to it and those guys go out and execute that's good coaching so to me i you know i put more stock on the conference season 
and you know, 15, you know, the, the record speaks for itself for A&M there. Then I think you get into something interesting, you know, with, you know, Dennis and, and Jerry, you know, what do you, you know, both had some close buzzer beater wins, both finished 11 and seven. You know, even if you go to head to head with their teams, Vandy, man, Vandy had opportunities to get that win in Columbia. It wasn't like Missouri or steamrolled them. That was a, that was a tough one for Missouri. That's aged into one of Missouri's seven or eight best wins is over Vanderbilt. I don't think we would have thought that in January. So, you know, if if I had to lean, I'd probably lean a little bit towards Dennis in that regard. But I really don't think people should think it's such an obvious error that Jerry Stackhouse got it. If, for one, you know, there was... A tweet today by someone, you know, I don't know if you want to name or not, who basically said, you know, Dennis didn't have his best player. And, you know, when you consider, like, basically all the hurdles he had, and Dree Goldstone was like, hey, um, you know, that's thanks for basically downgrading the entire roster. But I think if you were to compare roster quality head-to-head, Missouri had a better roster than Vandy did. And, you know, Liam Robbins is a good player. I think Jordan Wright's a guy who's still got a ton of potential. Um, Ezra Manion, you know, has good nights. I think he's probably one of the more underrated defenders in this league. But Vandy doesn't have a Kobe Brown. It does not have a Demoy Hodge. It doesn't, I don't think, have a Nick Honor on this roster. You know, I think if you were to line these two teams up paper to paper, people would say Missouri's got the better roster. And Vandy finished even with them. And I think if you watch... This team. This is why I would say to people: watch everyone aside from Missouri. Try and watch at least one SEC time, team, one or two times to really see kind of the diversity of this league. Just as a guy who likes watching good basketball and watching, you know, teams that execute scouts and run great stuff, Vanderbilt's up there. You know, Stack runs great stuff. He's got his team prepared night in, night out, and he took a roster that I think is objectively a little bit behind Missouri's and got him. To damn near a double buy. So it's just really hard for me to say this was a clear error. You know, here it, it was really, really tight. I probably would have given it to Dennis just by a hair's breath, man. But it's it both those guys, you know, it would have been a really, really close race and in some ways almost a coin flip between them. So player of the year was Brandon Miller. Um can't deny that. The off yeah, course outside, I, great player. Produced on the floor. Uh, yeah, he, he he was the best player in the league. Um, the, the off court stuff isn't great, uh, very clearly. But uh, dude, I put mean, up numbers. It's, it's, it's it's hard to deny that he was the most dynamic player in the league. What was freak? Uh, what go ahead. What was freaky is like I looked at you know just went back and ran defensive numbers today. There's a good argument for him in there for DPOY too. There's you could craft an argument for that. So freshman of the year. Defensive player of the year, just overall player of the year. Just clear cut, no doubter, it it had to be him. Sticking with the individual awards, Kobe Brown did get the Scholar Athlete of the Year. For anybody who's unaware, he's actually a fantastic student. Um, I believe he carries a a near-perfect GPA. Yeah, 4-0, basically, or 3-9-5, somewhere up there. Pretty much. I I know GPAs are sort of like hit and miss, depending on your, your... your coursework and like what kind of you know classes you're taking and what you're you know uh, what you're studying all that kind of stuff. But he's a everybody that you'll ever talk to about Kobe Brown. They they love him. They think he's great and he's a really really smart kid. Um, so freshman of the year, Brandon Miller also co sixth men of the year, uh, Javon Quinterly and Antonio Reeves. I probably would have given the edge to Reeves there. I think yeah. Reeves has been so important to Kentucky. Yeah, uh, where. Basically, you know, like Quinter- Quinterly has his moments, but like Alabama is still going to be great if Quinterly isn't isn't playing. Yeah, yeah. And then defensive player of the year was Liam Robbins, which I thought was a little surprising. I I could see this is how I think they got there. This is how I think they got there. Castleton got hurt, and they yeah. they, they well, wanted they, a big. <laughs> well, Castleton was on All SEC, and then I'm trying to remember who else they had. Somewhere else, they had another big somewhere. I would have well. So so here. So let's just. Well, we, maybe we'll just ro- roll through everything and then yeah, we we'll come back. We'll come do, back. Do like a big take. So for, first team was Brandon Miller, Colin Castleton, Oscar uh-huh. Shibway, Tolu Smith, 
Kobe Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, congrats, Kobe. Santiago Vescovi, uh, Wade Taylor, and Liam Robbins. That was the uh, All-SEC first team. Second team was Mark Sears, Anthony Black, Ricky Council, Janai Brome, uh, Wendell Green Jr., K.J. Williams, Zakai Ziegler, and uh, and Boots Radford. Um, Best nickname. <laughs> yeah. The all-defensive team, Charles Bediaco, Devontae Davis, uh, Colin Castleton, Zakai Ziegler, and Liam Robbins. The freshman team, Jaden Bradley, Noah Clowney, Brandon Miller, all from Alabama, Anthony Black, Riley Kugel, Chris Livingston, Kaysom Wallace, Gigi Jackson, Julian Phillips. Uh, and so that wraps up all the, the awards. Um, yeah, so you're saying about how you think they got to Liam Robbins for Defensive Player of the Year. They had Castleton on AP on all first team there. He got hurt, missed the rest of the year. So I think that probably hurt his case, literally. He didn't go a full year. And it's the back, the guard group this year is interesting because if you look at the best defensive units in this league, it's, would you say it's probably Mississippi State, um, Arkansas, and Tennessee, probably the three best defensive groups. All really strong out front. Like Tennessee has, you know, Santiago Vescovi, Zakai Ziegler. They can swap um, side Jordan James or Julian Phillips. All of those guys, if you like go and look in advanced numbers and on off splits on defense, all really good. So, how do you single out one guy in a good guard group? Same thing kind of goes for Arkansas with Ricky Council. Devo Davis, Anthony Black. Like, how do you single out one guy in those groups? You know, to a certain extent, Mississippi State may be a little bit different. You know, Deshaun Davis is the only guy who really grades out well there. But I guess what I'm saying is when you have a collectively good defense that's scheme-based, especially ones where every guard can apply on-ball pressure and is good, you know, sitting down, singling one guy out, I think is a little bit tough. So you wind up kind of defaulting to you know, Liam Robbins, who had, you know, good counting stats, you know, pretty good block percentage. You know, Castle didn't play the whole way. Brandon Miller, you know, grades out pretty well and was pretty solid on defense, but you're already getting him at, you know, POI and freshman of the year, so you're going to let him sweep all the major ones. I see how they got to Liam. I probably would have leaned towards Colin Castleton. Just think, you know, if you, again, I watch, when you watch Montape, good defensive player. You know, the advanced metrics back that up. He has one of the best, you know, individual defensive efficiency ratings in the league. Really good, you know, counting stats. You know, I, I thought Castleton to me was would probably be the guy I put in front of Robbins. But I don't know how, if you've got any strong feelings either way on, on DPOY. Mm, not really. Yeah. Um, it's it's such a hard thing to uh, to determine because... Yeah, you know, like I, different guys are good at different things. Um, I will say, like you know, we were kind of talking before we came on that you know, the boy Hodge, um, you know, I think probably deserves some uh, consideration for being on uh, the defensive team, but I don't think he was in. He would not have been in the conversation for my defensive player of the year. I don't think so uh, either. Mainly because, uh, and look, like I. I think we both think that you know Des Moines has his, his own deficiencies and on on the ball defense he's a fantastic uh, pilfer like he is he's got some of the best hands in the league if not the best hands in the league um, but I just don't think you can give defensive player of the year to a guy off the league's worst defense yeah so I did they end up. Being the worst defense, I know that they probably were in adjusted deficiency, but I wonder if we if you did it for conference only. Oh, let me go in and look. Oh, they were tenth. Oh, they were tenth. So who is the worst? Probably LSU. I'm going right now to look. Um, defense efficiency worst was yep LSU. Van, which is weird. Like they gave it to Liam Robbins, who was on the third worst defense in the SEC. Like, Florida was middle of the pack. Like, so if you were looking at Alabama... Yeah, I, w- 
I Tennessee. almost would say, and let, let, you can tell me if you agree or disagree. I almost think like Janai Broom is a a better overall defender, better shot blocker than Liam Robbins. I was going to say Olivia Nakamwa too. I like Nakamwa's really, really good. Can flexible and switch. I mean, every, every, everybody on Tennessee is good though. Like that's I know, but I'm but you're asking <laughs> me here like Auburn's fifth in defensive efficiency, Tennessee's second. I'm just saying what I watch like Nakamwa. He's not Eve's Ponds, and no one will ever be Eve's. And just that terrifying, you know, terminator of a defender. But Olivier can do a bunch of stuff in space. He can switch. You know, he's really good in pick and roll stuff. You know, I. But Janai's up there. I'd say his rim protector probably Janai is ahead of him. Collins pretty good. You know, it's. I don't know. I just would have had him. I went and looked at who was in the bottom. Then there's some guys who grade out well. And then you look at the team numbers and you're like, yeah, like. <laughs> It, the Arkansas one, I think, is going to be interesting because you, you asked about Devo where he graded out. And, like, Devo Davis is a great one. Like, I watched Devo, and that guy is fantastic. It, like, if if there's a guy who you say, hey, we want this guy on our best to take the best, you know, dude on the other side, it's Devo. Like, if that's your criteria, you know, is it Devo Davis? Is it the guy Ziegler? You know, is it that criteria? Like, hey, if I if I absolutely need a guy to get me stops, who am I picking? Or do you, you know, decide to look at, you know, within the context of scheme, how much can you measure it? It's, you know, to me, D- DPOI and COI are are ones where I would really, should we have a little bit more criteria or, you know, a little bit better sense of what we are trying to do here? Because you can make it as subjective as you want for both of them. But it, that that's about the only spot where I sometimes get jumpy is, is on those two awards. Everything else looked pretty good to me. Yeah, I, you know, I... As we're kind of saying, I don't really have a whole lot to quibble with. I thought, you know, they they think overall, like, it's it's a really difficult thing to do to try to, you know, break this all down and, and, and you know, be 100% on point. It just, it really is. Like, somebody's going to get left off. Yeah. Uh, I I watched some of the, uh, uh, our friend Blake Lovell and, uh, and Chris Lee, they have their YouTube channel. Um I watched some of their breaking down of the awards and they just, they had so many disagreements that they had to expand each team. They did first team, second team, and I can't remember if they called it third team or honorable mention, but they had to expand it <laughs> each time because of how much they were, uh, they were disagreeing on, on different things. And so they just like, ah, oh, that, that was the, the solution. The um, only, the only, that's also probably why the SEC does that with their just, they had these gigantic first teams and not just five people. That's that which I was gonna say. That that's my only gripe. You're fielding a basketball team. I want in your top five, I want one guy at each spot. At you know, three guards, I want two bigs. I don't care how you divvy it up, I'm not gonna say point guard, combo guard, you know, sh- wing. But three guards, two bigs. Do that for first team, do it for second team, do it for all for honorable mention. If guys are upset, they're, you know, honorable mention, so be it. But basically, give me your top three at every spot. That's that's fine. That's fine by me. Because that's how you get there on first and second team anyway. So, yeah. But I believe you're judging basketball teams. Let's make it look like basketball teams. So that's, is that, you know, really anal retentive? Yes, but it's the one thing I'll die on. The one hill I'll die on is make the conference teams look like basketball teams i i'm i don't plan on dying on any hill uh when it comes to postseason awards but uh but you you matt um i'm completely okay they want to leave it as it is i i agree with you in in large part i do think it should be five players but yeah whatever um they're gonna you know, they're give, gonna give more people some some honors it's it's fine so the sec tournament starts on wednesday missouri is not playing on wednesday um it feels like they always do, um, but only half the time since they've been in the uh, the SEC, Matt. Um, it's 14th-seeded LSU taking on 11th-seeded Georgia, uh, and Ole Miss in the 13th spot taking on South Carolina in the 12th spot. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to take Ole Miss and, and Georgia to win those games. I, I'll take whoever wants to win those games. I, I have no strong feelings either way. The 
the Wednesday games are weird. I don't know who's going to show up. It, yeah, it is one of those things where it, it just depends on who's ready to go home. I have a feeling like LSU seems like a team they're probably like, they've just fallen apart at the end of games here lately. I think that's what you're kind of wondering is, you know, how much fight do they have left? Um, yeah, that you definitely reach a point where you kind of want to get to the offseason. <laughs> and I'll say I'm, I'm more inclined to take South Carolina in the second game. You know, they're playing better recently. You know, they they put a scare into Arkansas. They put a scare into Bama. They beat Georgia recently. I, I just, you know. I do like what Lamont Paris has kind of done with that team. And, you know, they, they've, they either look, like, really pretty bad or actually all right. You yeah. Know? And I, so they've looked more all right lately than, uh, than not. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I it, it is. That, that, Either way. That feels like one, you know, I'm looking here, they they beat LSU, you know, they beat LSU, lost by two in overtime to Alabama, got smacked at Tennessee, you know, were competitive against Mississippi State, nearly won at Mississippi State. They were leading in that game and then beat Georgia. So I think, you know, four out of the last five, they've been pretty good. They were competitive at Vandy too. So like down the stretch, the last seven or eight games, they've, you know, outside of the Tennessee, you know, drubbing they took, they've been, you know, pretty feisty. They've been in it. They've gotten three wins. I, part of me thinks too, Ole Miss, like they fought for win case, you know, down the stretch. They played out the regular season well, but now you're in Nashville. You know, it's four, if you're going to do anything, it's four games, four days. That It's five games in five days. It's just, it's, it's really hard, you know, are you really checked in for that? Is that what you want to do? You know, it's. I, I just think you you've already spent way too much time on both these matchups. Yeah, I have, so that's that. That's fine. Thursday I'm, night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So Thursday. Um, so the the winner of the LSU Georgia game gets to play Vanderbilt, who is the sixth seed. Uh, I would take Randy in that matchup. Yeah. Arkansas takes on Auburn. Arkansas, Matt. Uh, falls all the way down to the 10 seed, thanks to tiebreakers uh, taking on seven seeded Auburn. Um, that's a really interesting that, matchup. That's the most interesting matchup to me on Thursday night. Is that one? Uh, and then you have Tennessee uh, in the five spot taking on Ole Miss, uh, South Carolina winner. Um, they will probably beat uh, whoever wins that game. Uh, and then Mississippi State and Florida. I really think like. I don't think Florida is, and I don't think anybody is has Florida in in the field of sixty. No, they're not anywhere close um, to it. But Mississippi State is like really kind of close to the the cut line. Uh, I don't think they can afford to lose that game. They can't. Um, they they need. They're sitting probably in last four in territory right now. I'd say a couple of wins here would do them well. They've got a pretty favorable draw here if you really you know take a look at it here. If they can get by Florida, Florida's not going to help them, but it also, you know, any quad two one at this point is not bad. The real shot is can they get Bama? If they could pick off Bama, I think that would lock them in or it would at least get them in to, you know, last four by territory. You know, we can talk about this after we go through all the matchups, but most of the seeding for this thing is going to be done by mid-afternoon Saturday. So for them, really the work has to happen that Thursday night and that, you know, that Friday night, you know, game against Bama, I think is what they need. They, a result there probably gets them off the schneid and gets them in. You know, Tennessee versus the winner of Ole Miss, USC doesn't really intrigue me all that much. You know, Georgia, LSU, Vanderbilt. You know, Vanderbilt is sneaking into the back end of the bubble. Um, we talked about this with Matt Watkins earlier today. Any team below number 40 in the seed list is it's just crap to see a crap below number 40. <laughs> yeah. Like Vanderbilt's like fundamentals are close to Wisconsin and Wisconsin's considered the last team in what's separating Vandy from Wisconsin is two quad one wins. Georgia and LSU will not get them that, but they're on a side of the draw where they get Kentucky on Friday. They just beat a Kentucky. team that they've already beaten. And may or may not have Case and Wallace or Severe Wheeler still. So Kentucky's there. And then Texas A&M. 
those are two games that if they can get those quad one wins, maybe, and there's some help. They're going to need some help from like some teams, especially at the Big Ten tournament, to take some early losses. But Vandy's got a shot. They've got to make a run and get two wins and get quad and have them be quad one wins. But I'm just fascinated by the 7-10 matchup. Auburn, I think, got got in by beating Tennessee. Arkansas is just, I, I think they're the most fascinating team sheet in this conference. The metrics love them. Love them. They basically have no quad four games. They must and his staff, I will say this, they killed non-conference scheduling. Killed it. Got into Maui where they got some quality wins, but almost everything else is a winnable quad three, so their SOS looks great. They're not going to take a hit. But man, they're three and nine in quad one. They're two and five in their last seven. That's with Nick Smith back. I don't know where the hell they're going to get seated. But man, weird things happen. You just don't want to be in this part of the woods. And so if Auburn smacks them around on you know Thursday night, do they suddenly wind up in some trouble? I don't know. Auburn could probably use this win to, you know, at least again solidify itself. To me, that's that's just fascinating. There's a lot of talent in that game that's going to be fast. It's going to be up-tempo. I don't know. That that game just jumps out to me. But I, I don't know which one's your pick on Thursday. Uh, Yeah, so I would take Mississippi State in the matchup against Florida. Um, Tennessee to beat whoever comes out of that 12-13 game. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like Arkansas probably... Yeah, I just don't really think Auburn's been playing all that well. And I know that they got the win against Tennessee. Um, I feel like they kind of had to get that win. And I sort of, I don't know, maybe this is just me projecting a little bit and making things up out of thin air. But it, it just sort of feels like like when they've needed to snap uh, out of whatever funk they've been in, they, they did it against Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> Good for us. We got slaughtered by Auburn. Uh, and then they they really needed that win against Tennessee. So I almost feel like there might be a little bit of a sigh of relief where, uh, you know, like, you know, Mus's teams almost always play well this time of year. I'm a little surprised that they, you know, they dropped their last two games. They uh, lost, what, four of their last six, five of their last six? Five of their last seven. Five of their last seven. Just and- that's a lot of losses for, for an Eric Musselman team. And, you know, like they're, they struggle a little bit. Uh, on the offensive side. Um, but, you know, like, neither can Auburn. Um, so, I don't know, maybe Katie Johnson shows up and, and goes like five or six from three-point range. Yeah. It, um, but I, I would probably take Arkansas on that matchup. Yeah. So, I, I'll i probably lean Arkansas on that one. Vandy in the 6-11 one. I'll take Tennessee, obviously. I think Mississippi State, they have a big. Florida doesn't. So, I'm going to take Mississippi State in that one. So, we get... Alabama, Mississippi State, we get Tennessee, Missouri, we get Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Texas A&M, Arkansas. Yep. Um, on on Friday. On Friday, and that is... For, first game, uh, Alabama, would, that game, uh, whether it's Mississippi State or Florida, we're, we're guessing it's going to be Mississippi State. Is at 1 uh, p.m. Eastern, so that's, uh, that's a noon tip. Um, Missouri game is after that, so probably guessing around like 2.30. Uh, Central Time, uh, and then the A and M window is uh, at seven um, Eastern, so that'd be six o'clock uh, Central, uh, and so Kentucky would go after that. Um, so probably about eight thirty. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking to catch the Missouri game, it will be on ESPN, uh, in that probably around two thirty window. Yeah. Um, provided the Alabama and Mississippi State game finishes on time. Uh, you you want to do any picks over over those uh, four quarterfinals? And I'll take Bama. I'll take Kentucky. I just, I think that they've, part of, part of it was I think they were also a little bit stunned that night against Mandy. They've been able to regroup. I think they, they'll be able to figure some things out there. Um, I still like Chibway. And also, Bandy won't have Liam Robbins. Good luck trying to stop Big Oscar that way. Yeah, like, well, that's one of the reasons why Bandy was able to kind of give uh, Kentucky so much trouble is, you know, Robbins really gave 
sheep weight trouble. Yeah. And I just don't think they have the body to, to match up there. Uh, I'm not sure what's Missouri, the... Tennessee. <laughs> I'm going to take Tennessee. I know Zakai Ziegler. If they can turn Santiago Vescovi over, I think that they, they've got a shot there. But this was they were a- also uh, without Josiah Jordan James in the game, the first game against yeah. Missouri, and Julian Phillips didn't really play much because he was also a little dinged up. Yeah, so those guys um, are going to be back a little bit, a little bit better cover guys on the wings for them. You know, it took Missouri going absolutely thermonuclear from deep to have a shot in that game. They also Tennessee also shot. A lot of free throws. I, you know, I tend to think, you know, things kind of regress to the mean a little bit here. Tennessee gets the win it needs, um, and we get Bama and Tennessee in a semifinal and a rematch for the second time this year. Um, down bracket, I'm going to take. I think if Arkansas gets in a good rhythm on Thursday night, I think they can get by A&M. So I'll take. Arkansas on a run to the semis versus Kentucky again. So semis I have, Bama, Tennessee, um, Arkansas, Kentucky. Uh, I'll go Bama, and just to be contrarian, I'll take Missouri. Um, As is your like way. That, yeah, well, yeah, so there's like, if if you forced me to put money on it, I would probably take, you know, straight up, I'd probably take Tennessee. Um, but I'm not betting on it. Because I don't, I don't bet uh, money on things, um, and I wonder if there's gonna be any sort of like happy to be here moment from Mizzou. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it feels like you know, like the <laughs> this season has been such a success already, and there's so many fans who are just like, yay, and like you know, uh, loving on the players, and all, like they're just gonna be happy to 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 be the four seed and and get sent home. Um, yeah, like they're in the tournament. We don't have to worry about that. If they can beat Tennessee, though, then I think they probably secure like a seven seed. Yeah, I think they're 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 edging close to the seven line right now. At least when I look today, they're they're kind of in that like if you had to rank the number eight seeds, they're the number two eight seed right now. Um, we'll have to see what happens around them. Again, I feel like I'm telling people watch the Big Ten tournament on Wednesday and Thursday. There's a glut of Big Ten teams probably in front of Missouri on the seven line, seven and six and seven line. So I think you get there. I think the seven seeds about where they top out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm barring like a, a, you know, beating Tessie and then turning around beating Alabama. I don't think they could get, they could get to a six. Um, I think a seven is still possible. Yeah. Uh, seven, you know, maybe the committee will surprise us and just be, be like, Hey, look, like we're not looking at your, your PMs at all. We're, what we're looking at is the fact that you were, yeah. Unblemished in quad two, three, four, uh, and you had a pretty good quad one record. So here, here's a six seed. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, but it could. Yes, yeah, I um, think I think they wind up on the seven eight cut line somewhere, or maybe they take a procedural bump to a seven. But either way, um, I think if they got past Tennessee, I, I think this Alabama team just has a ton of firepower. I, I they haven't been playing well lately, but I think. We'll see if they can if that carries over. I don't know. I it was a bad shooting day in Columbia that that acted as the separator. But can Missouri, you know, get the same kind of shooting performance that it got from Alabama? I'm not sure. I still think Alabama gets to the finals here. I still think I'm down the bottom part of the bracket. You know, I I just I'm not going to pick Arkansas to beat Texas A&M at this point. I just don't trust. Arkansas to do enough. Okay, so let's um, say let's say it's Kentucky and A and M. Who are you taking in that one? I'll just say my final. Ooh, um, I really, really, really wished that uh, I knew if Casey Wallace is going to play. I'll want to say Casey Wallace is going to play, and I'll take Kentucky. Okay, so we're saying Bama, Kentucky on Sunday. Who do you like in that one? Uh, I. Bama, it's, I don't like they're the, they're clearly the best team in the league. I don't yeah. know how you, how you yeah. bet against them. Bama marginal and they clo- and, and, and they, they also it. have enough depth. Like yeah. that's another thing. Like you know, uh, you know, Kentucky doesn't have the the same level of depth. Yeah, that's going to be the third game on a third day uh, for both teams. Um, 
I just uh, the depth that Alabama has, I think, will will carry them, and and that's 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 my take. Yeah, I think it'll be it won't be the same kind of twenty six point route that happened in Tuscaloosa, but I I, I think Bama gets gets there in the end. So yeah, uh, yeah, Kentucky is a much different team than uh, now than they were then. Yeah, they have um, Jason and Plus that game that game guard. was that game was also a lot closer. Um, the, you know, then the final score would indicate like it, it, it got away in the second half, but I feel like it was still like within striking distance, even for like the first five or six minutes of the yeah. second half. Yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. Then Bama hit one it, of its runs and just sort of opened it and as they can do sometimes with, uh, scoring jacks, especially at home. Yeah. They, they get revved up there. So it, I don't know. Overall, I, there's an opportunity for Missouri there to, Tennessee's in a weakened state, but you know they're going to get Ziegler out, but they're going to get two good defenders back, and you know those guys are going to be covering, you know Dree. One's going to be covering Demoy. Um, I don't know if we'll see Isaiah Mosley at all in Nashville. That feels like one of those things that I'll believe it when I see it, but you know to me that feels like it, as we've said all year could be something if he's in rhythm could change it, but that feels a lot like very reminiscent of us saying, you know, back in 2018, you know, maybe Mike Porter comes back, maybe he's feeling good, and maybe he's in rhythm, and we saw what happened against Georgia. He just was not in rhythm, didn't look great. So, you know, Tennessee at, you know, with those kinds of wing defenders back, I think, you know, can dispatch Missouri on Thursday. So watch me be wrong and watch them win two games and get to uh, get to Sunday. Which I won't be upset with. I would love for them no. to win an SEC title. Would love for it to happen. Please do. Uh, yeah. I yeah I I mean it would it would be great. It just you know again at this point I'm I'm just happy to be here. Um, so before we get out of here, a couple uh, procedural things. Um, uh, as we have mentioned before, the Rock M Radio uh, podcast name. Um, the feed is staying the same, but the name is changing. Uh, with that is going to come some, some changes. Uh, we are going to be, um, doing some things differently, uh, going ahead. One of those things is going to be via YouTube. Um, so we're going to actually have a Selection Sunday live show, uh, with, with myself and, and, Matthew J. Harris. Uh, we are going to co-host that. You never know. Um, Data Mizzou, our friend Matt Watkins might make an appearance as well. Uh, it is going to be a trial run for for kind of setting up some some things. So uh, if there's a few bumps along the road, please forgive us. Uh, we'll be like you know tweeting out and providing uh, additional details on where you can sort of follow all this stuff. Um, you know, in preparation for that, as well as like a time that we're kind of planning on starting. Um, so that'll be something new, kind of fun and interesting, uh, where since it's a live show, you'll be able to follow along. Uh, you'll be able to, you know, like ask questions live. Uh, we'll be talking all about like where Missouri is heading. So it'll, it'll it will be after the selection show has concluded. Uh, and once the entire bracket is out. So we'll talk about, um, you know, Missouri's pod and Missouri's uh, region and uh, uh, you know and and we'll also probably you know make a few quick um, quick picks uh, once the bracket is fully out uh, so so keep an eye out for that uh, like I said we'll have more details as we get closer um, in the meantime uh, make sure that you watch your Tigers around 2:30 ish on ESPN on Friday and they're as they await. Uh, double buys. Like I, I love, I love waiting for other games to play out while while you get your rest. Um, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, I looked it up. The last time Missouri finished a season inside the AP top twenty-five, unsurprisingly, 2011-2012. And then in uh, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. No, they just missed that year. So, yep, it was uh, unsurprisingly two thousand nine, two thousand twelve were the last times they finished inside the AP top twenty-five. Huh. Pretty good teams those years. 
that was the, those were some fun years. Um, well, so with that all being said, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. If you uh, do enjoy listening to our podcast, make sure you are subscribed uh, to the podcast feed. Uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play Store, as well as Spotify. You can listen through Spotify and coming soon, YouTube. Uh, if you do that, you also get before the box score beamed directly into your phone. You can listen to Nate and BK. I believe they have another episode coming up this week, so that'll be fun as they're talking about all the things with spring football. Uh, head over to rockamnation.com, click on all the things. We've got some really good content coming this week. Uh, already, we've had some really great content. If you want a great breakdown of the net, Matt had that for you uh, last week. That's That's been a really popular piece, Matt. Good job. Um, make sure you follow him on Twitter at MattJHarris85. You can follow me at Sam T. Stelling. Our good friend Matt Watkins, follow him as well uh, at Data Mizzou and the flagship at Rockham Nation. Uh, thanks, everybody, and we will see you, uh, and you will actually see us as well on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>